Hey everyone, we have Manasse here calling from Hyderabad for the Bloomex podcast. Um, Manasse, thank you for joining us. Um, uh, really looking forward to talking to you and chatting more about how you're bringing um, AI into healthcare and healthcare technology. Absolute pleasure. Absolute pleasure. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Um, so let's start, get started with that. Um, your, your, your company, your startup, you're still in school mm. right now. You're 21 and you yeah. decided to start a startup. Have you had any business before? Is it your first company? This is my first company. Uh, I would say I've been an entrepreneur since like two years from now, but uh, it was the one point in my life where I felt like, you know, have to create a platform for my own self to actually put out and set out my idea into the market. And that's why I decided to start a company. And this happened in one year. Perfect. Um, so let's, let's, let's dive into that, right? Like what is the problem yep. you're trying to solve and uh, what is your startup? Yeah. So I would say uh, on a general perspective, uh, being an entrepreneur is someone who looks at a problem and finds solution and makes it business. That's how I look at an entrepreneur to be. And as I was growing, uh, you know, as a techie guy, you learn a lot of technologies coming up in the market and you research and you read blogs. And I'm kind of person, I read 20 blogs every morning to keep myself updated about how the world is going on. And uh, as I was diving into this tech world, then I uh, encountered a phase of AI, the booming world in the market. And, and I thought, okay, what's this all about? And then I started researching and, you know, trying to do courses and figure out what this thing is whole, uh, this whole world about AI is built up on and, and trying to learn these technologies. And once I've adapted myself to implement this technology certain to a limit, I felt like, you know, knowledge is something which comes to practice. Like the moment you implement it in real life, it makes more sense. Then I thought I looked at a few problems which I was encountering in my day-to-day -day lives uh, in my own world. And I felt like, you know, AI is a platform which can leverage any industry to make a great transformational digital drift in that particular industry. And that was a place when I uh, looked at financials industry and uh, I, I gave it a shot, but I wasn't successful in that venture. Uh, you know, because I was too young to deal with, uh, you know, a lot of demographics which happen in the industry. And I felt like, you know, I have to pick another uh, industry which can give me access to the core values of, of being in the industry in the market. And then after, you know, discussing and, and you know, meeting a lot of people, uh, big businessmen and a lot of mentors who shaped me to be what I am today. And this suggested me to enter healthcare industry. And that's when we looked at very ground level problems because we felt like healthcare is a very biased industry where you have societies which are augmented into that uh, industry. You have commonal commonalities where common people enter, enter healthcare and you have big dudes who can offer sophisticated, uh, uh, you know, big line technologies for their health in big uh, medical institutions. So we thought we have to like collaborate all these things to fit into one platform. And then we looked at few ground level problems. So I would say the first problem that we uh, looked into healthcare was lack of digital automation. So, uh, so people who visit general medical institutions, they don't have resources uh, uh, to implement or to attach themselves with these medical institutions to get a digital platform. A simple use case is an EHR and EMR, a electron, electronic health record and electronic medical record. You, like if, you, if you look at the diverse population in the world, a lot of countries like USA, Canada, Switzerland, they have implemented EHRs and EMRs right from the birth. But you, but you take uh, uh, countries like India, you still, they're still in that evolution stage of attaching EHR and EMRs to the population, which is not. Only if you look at you know, high-scale industries where you, uh, where you visit big-scale medical institutions, you get these services for yourself where you can have a digital health record profile whenever you visit a hospital, you no longer need to carry files of data with you. It, it, it just, it's just attached to your mobile number. So you just click your phone number. When you visited, what was your current status of your health? When was your last visit, your prescriptions, all the information under one click. But this service is not available for every single Indian or every single populated person counted in, in the population of India. So we thought we need to create a platform, a digital platform, which can create a digital health record for every single person, no matter which community he belongs to, no matter which financial status he belongs to, but it is universal for anyone to adapt. So that's the first thing that we encountered. And the second thing is, uh, you know, healthcare industry is very biased where, you know, uh, people look at AI as, you know, a, a movie sequence to, from Terminator, like Skynet, you know, they're very much, you know, inc uh, you know very insecure about, it replaces doctors, it steals their you know, chairs, but AI is just a tool which can accelerate solutions, accelerate technologies to 
to you know somehow make them adapt to a much more faster pace in their diagnosis process it's not like skynet where you know it overtakes human population that's not it so we wanted hospitals to adapt to ai uh, in terms of disease prediction automated diagnosis medical imaging uh, because we looked at a very ground level scenario right now which we are working on uh, if i can mm-hmm. introduce the subject too close to you right now covid 19 uh, i have one question to everyone you know why is it so difficult for the government to safeguard people because they don't know for themselves who is the target and who is not you know it's it's very difficult to to have an understanding about which community of people are safe even after they get affected with the virus and which community of the people uh, you know are very fragile for the effect of the virus mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. this understanding nobody has because of the lack of public health information so that's when we started working on you know creating a platform which can leverage collecting individual patient uh, uh, medical histories also on analytical side of medical uh, uh, you know industry with respects to leveraging ai we want to create a platform which can analyze do analytics doing disease predictions observing patterns doing medical imaging so that we have a very futuristic objective about analyzing what's the nerve of the public in terms of their health so this is the ground level truth on where we started our startup and and we've done a couple of ventures uh, which i will share after you know you take me forward in this in this session yeah yeah definitely I mean, that's a lot to digest. I mean, I, I see where you're where you're headed with this. Like the idea that you know governments don't know um, the, the the health status of their population. It's a very yes. weird thing to think about. So we think we're a yes. modern we're modern we're modern nations, industrialized nations, and, and parts of the world are rapidly industrializing, and we should have you know insights into our population, but we really don't. I mean, we still run a lot of archaic uh, processes. Um, yeah, it's interesting to note that, like, even like in the U.S., right? They're trying to they, they like to even give, give out free money, right? They want to give out two thousand um, dollars checks to everybody. To even do that, they're not able to do that because they don't even they cannot reach that population. A sizable bunch of a bunch of the population do not have um, even tax uh, tax receipts. Like they have not done their taxes. Right, so there's no tax receipts to send uh, to follow up on. A lot of them have no bank accounts, and this is in the United yeah. States, the most like industrial nation in the world. They don't have any, they don't have bank accounts, so the government can't even reach the people to give them free money. How could we monitor their health status of a population, right? And one of the things that yeah. uh, I mean we have to take into account also is like, like one of the things I appreciate about India in uh, general is because. They were you got India is working on large level problems. They're they're yes. rapidly changing the entire infrastructure, and there's so much government and private in, uh, private uh, cohesive action towards this action, right? And what I'm really interested yes. in is like like we like with if it's Canada because we're we have universal um, universal healthcare, the one payer system, the government government pays for most things. Um, we have one one person who makes all the guiding decisions for healthcare and how it changes. that simplifies the process of change but yet makes it larger because it's a large systemic change that have to happen at at one time how is that yeah. how is change happening in india you know how is the government and uh, private uh, industries working together um what is the cohesion there uh yeah i would say uh, you know we have a very free diverse ecosystem which i want to specify on uh, because we have a lot of collaborative uh, uh, you know aspects of dealing with the government and also our private organizations because uh, it's not it's not like yeah they make the policy they make the policies and they set the rules but they give us this option of of you know reaching out for helping people so that collaborative mindset that the government has towards startups and private uh, institutions is something that can bring out a lot of innovations which can help the real uh, real market uh, you know scenarios and i would say to mention that point uh, since the covid-19 started since like you know we are talking about hacking covid uh, so i'm just taking the instance of what's happening right now in the current state yeah. so uh, considering covid uh, you know contact tracing is a big deal right now to to understand uh, you know people who are getting affected and and how the chain the loop how how it goes from one person to another contact tracing is a big deal so you know the one thing that i would appreciate uh, you know india is especially you know giving an ecosystem for startups to come up with their innovations and help the government to deal and to you know sort of support their technologies to help in the global scale or you know as a nation to fight the virus and and the pandemic situations so uh, you know a lot of startups like you know uh, uh, uh alps labs and 
uh, I would say, uh, Analytics India. They're working on contact tracing, where you know they're they're and and also the, the good thing is government gives approvals for you know access to data, and to collaborate with government institutions themselves. So it's not like they're not confined to their chairs of being as an institution of their own, but they give you access to collaborate with government institutions with startups. So you know startups like us, we get to collaborate with the telecom department, the telecom network. To, to use our technologies to, to do the contact tracing. And they give us access to the medical data, which has been collected from every mm. uh, medical institutions of the government so that we can do our analysis. So I, I guess I would name it the collaborative mindset and the ecosystem that's been provided by the government for all of the entities in the industry to, to come at one, one place and join all of our strengths in the technological aspect that we have to fight the pandemic situation. Interesting. Cool. So let, yeah. let's let's isolate back into your concept, right, of utilizing oh. AI in healthcare. What, what, I guess, what exactly does that mean? Like, what what is your place in this? Uh, my place is in in this. I would say uh, a general name would be analytics, where uh, uh, there are a lot of divisions in AI. Uh, uh, you know, most of people, uh, many people, you know, they they consider machine learning to be a different segment data science to be a different segment and AI to be a whole new concept. But I would say it comes down to a bottom line, you name it AI overall. So uh, my place in this where we, we come into the division of, uh, 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 of data analytics, yep. where uh, we do data. Uh, hmm, lost your video for a sec. One second. Yeah, uh, there's, I guess there's one technical issue with the camera. Thing. Yeah, 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 okay. yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'll just continue. Uh, yeah. yeah, in the analytic, analytic side, we do data prediction, uh, which means includes diseases, uh, whatever diseases people face, we do a lot of prediction work uh, and we automate medical imaging where uh, I guess you come from a neuroscience background. So uh, I would say uh, MRI scans, CT scans, X-rays, what we generally do is we just try to automate a tool which can do a job of the doctor. It's not like we're not replacing the whole uh, uh, thing what a doctor does, but we're just using a, a part of what a doctor does to give a validation for him to move forward in his job. Uh, yeah, we're back online. There we go. Yeah. yeah so continue. Yeah, continue to it. Uh, I would say, so I was continuing the example. Uh, we take a, a simple job of a radiologist. Okay, so the 70% the of job a radiologist does is to just look at the scans and identify what's going wrong on it. So what we generally do is we build a model, a computer model, which can take in inputs from all these scans, learn and understand the patterns that are being observed on these scans and try to uh, educate itself to understand what's actually going wrong. So a new scan comes, on, comes up into the computer, it understands what the abnormality in the scan is. So we just, automating tools for the doctors to utilize and save their time. So ultimately, if you boil it down uh, to a conceptual part, which is trying to reduce the time difference, which is, which has been created to initiate a uh, treatment. So, you know, it so happens because of the large population and sometimes, you know, uh, uh, you know, lack of medical institutions in that particular locality. So it happens that there are a lot of crowd and traffic in, in, in the hospital, but the doctors who are av available are very less. So we try to automate tools, which they can use and reduce the time, time, time frame of doing the diagnose, rather looking at a patient and just initiating treatment. So our tools help doctors to you know, really do a part of the diagnose job, but we prefer that ultimately after the analysis, uh, which, which comes up from our, uh, from our computer models, it, it, it is validated by the doctor himself. So uh, we just automate a tool for him to, you know, reduce the time that he puts on, you know, analyzing every single patient report because we do it through the computer. You know, for example, uh, you, you take a computer model that we generated for a, for a recent project we did in 2019. Uh, we did a hard, hard disk prediction model. So uh, we, 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 uh, we almost uploaded 3000 reports and, and we got predictions over one second. So that's how accurate and powerful these systems could be. So I could say, if you give these 3000 patient reports to a doctor and ask him, you know, uh, do your job and give it to me, he'd take months to, to get you the analysis of that 3000 patient reports, but rather, you know, this computer tool does it in few seconds. So that's the power of uh, AI and how, how it, you know, works out. Mm. Okay. Yep. Yep. 
Cool. Um, how did how did you get into this? Like, what was that path to uh, get into AI for you? Yeah. Uh, as I was saying, uh, my my core uh, panel of what I study is called electronics and communication, and uh, I was working on uh, on on these projects. Let's say, uh, uh, you know, building PCB boards and designing uh, electronic equipments, and and I came to a juncture called embedded systems. So in embedded systems, uh, uh, I encountered always are, uh, you, know, um, uh, you know, sort of programmed with a fireworm from a software, uh, you know, end. And I realized, okay, this is cool. And then I started learning about microprocessors and microcontrollers. And I, and I was like, okay, wait, you know, you use C and all these programming languages for, for you know, coding these microprocessors and microcontrollers. And it was a steady pace of my journey, understanding electronics and encountering data science and AI uh, on the whole. And then when I got into the juncture of embedded systems, I got into this whole concept of AI, robotics and all that. And that pulled my, my nerve towards learning these technologies. And when I started learning them, uh, you know, AI is common for every industry. It's just the implementation and how you use it differs from industry to industry. But the whole concept of how AI is built is same to any industry. And that's how when I started learning AI, machine learning, I felt like, you know, this is, a great technology and has a great potential, but the current market is not adapted or you don't have a platform which, which is ready go to market strategy, which can, you know, which is ready to be adapted. So AI is something which, which is a great optimal technology, but a lot of many ground level institutions are not adapted to it. So then I feel like, you know, this is the time where, where we need to, you know, bring up a platform which can help other institutions to partner and adapt to this technology which can give a great sense of, of you know, driving their uh, uh, company into digitally transformed institutions. Yeah. So that's where, I mean, that, that's where I... Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, let's, let's just uh, wind down a little bit and talk about like startups, right? And yep. how you personally got into the idea of becoming a founder, right? Hmm. Um, anytime you want to become a, a, a starting a company, especially at a young age, there's a lot of unknown variables that come into it because it's not just about yeah. the problem anymore that you're solving. It's also the business. It's also about building and managing a team. Taxes. Exactly. You know what I mean? There's so much different things to like you have to take into consideration just to solve the problem. The company, the startup is a vehicle to solve the problem that you want to get to, but requires a lot of like skills and um, skills and understanding to kind of formulate. How, Absolutely. How did you how did you get into the mindset of building companies? Like, uh, did you get help from your college, from a local incubators? Yeah, uh, I would say, uh, you know, as I shared before in my start, uh, I started off my uh, I started off my journey as an entrepreneur by just having a name startup, no registration, no corporate license, no company. You know, I just used yeah. to call myself a startup with a name. That's how I started. Yeah. And, and it so happened, you know, I've been in the journey of, of, you know, doing my sort of research, trying to develop the technologies with a bunch of uh, friends and, and, you know, and I, and I came to a juncture where I realized, uh, you know, to enter the market, I need a brand or, you know, sort of like an entity because I just can't enter the market just as I am. I need, I need mm -hmm. a foundation. I need a platform where I can showcase the technology that I'm, I'm trying to, uh, uh, you know, give to the market and also the innovations that we're trying to provide. And at that point, it was a very crucial moment for me to take that decision because being 21, dealing with finances, dealing with government taxes, you know, trying to, you know, maintain an, you know, an entity which, which has so much of political, industrial, uh, you know, all sorts of things followed up in building that foundation of a company. It was really difficult. But, uh, but as I was moving forward, uh, as you said, uh, a lot of uh, uh, incubators, uh, I sort of attending a lot of, uh, uh, you know, meetings, being in the market and trying to understand what the market really holds for AI. And, and at one point, uh, I got an opportunity to, to become uh, an incubator uh, for, for a foundation called SRIX. Uh, it, it's a government organization and I got an opportunity to become an incubator. And uh, they said, you know, you, your freelancing sort of scale of being an entrepreneur doesn't work. You need to have an established company. And, and I said, you know, I'm not gonna take that, you know, leap of hope of just, you know, being having a company on my shoulders you know it's too risky but in that journey of shaping myself i realized you know a company is what which shows who you are you know being manasse is one side of it but you know with riverbend data solutions i'm much more as a person as an entity on one body and and that was the first time when i actually started thinking about uh, keeping a startup and i would say that was a crucial point where i decided 
to take the falls and the risks of you know what I'm going to face in the industry. And I would say it's just a leap of faith that I just took over, you know, starting the company. But I mean, the perception that I have right now for my company was very different from how I started it. I thought, okay, I'm going to start it. Works out well and good. Doesn't work out. I'm going to get back to my studies and just get my things going back. Yeah. And, and, you know, I was this very cool, uh, you know, musician. I I love music. I play guitar. So, you know, I just used to think to myself, you know, this company doesn't work out. Uh, I'm just going to, you know, like get back to my stuff, playing music and, you know, recording stuff. That's how I was. Uh, and, and once I took, you know, the company and the responsibility of, you know, maintaining an institution, I guess that gave me discipline, that gave me a sense of responsibility and, 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 and the whole sense of maintaining a company shaped my entrepreneur perspective about business. And, and from then the foundations, the responsibilities, the discipline, the strategies that I had to learn, I started, you know, it's, it's, it's a very steady journey of learning. And I started, I started meeting a lot of people. Uh, businessmen who are in the industry, asking them how their journey was in setting up an institution and, and the risks which include in having a you know, private limited company. And, and, and that's how I started and learning from them, you know, all sort of business strategies, modeling my business, uh, you know, giving perspective to the business that we're doing and how to strategize our market and, and how to reach out to the market that we have in front of us. And all this was a very steady journey of me learning through my experience. And, you know, I, w- I would love to share this uh, particular situation with you. Uh, there was this time where, where I attended a wedding and there was this professor from ISB, Indian School of Business, you know, full suited up, uh, three-piece suit. And he came up to me and said, what are you doing? I just said, I'm doing my engineering. And I said, uh, do you have any plans of uh, writing GRE? I said, uh, I'm not that futuristic too. I didn't plan it out. And he said, you know, you should probably join ISB and, and, you know, do this course. You can, you can be a great, uh, a great leader. You know, you can, you can get to be a CEO of a company. You know, he told me a lot. And I just said, uh, sir, uh, I don't have plans of, you know, being associated with an ISB because my startup is my ISB. It's, it's my school of business. It teaches me everything. It, te- it teaches me business. It teaches me management skills. It teaches me foundation of being an entrepreneur. It teaches me my strategies. It teaches me every mm-hmm. single thing. So my startup is like a, it, it's like a seed of baby that I have in front of me, which I evoluted it with the resources that we had, the little resources in our hands to nurture it, to, to, to create what it is right now as the Riverbend Data Solutions. So I would say, uh, uh, boiling it down to a bottom line, it's just a very gradual consistent journey of learning and also understanding how to run a business so uh, I, I wouldn't admit as a skill as something that i had inside me being an entrepreneur i just started up a company it just happened we are cool right now I, I wouldn't admit that but i would say it was a very consistent journey of learning with the pitfalls and understanding how it how, how what it takes to stabilize a business as a company as you move forward in, in the industry yeah Absolutely. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I like that idea that you, you put forward, like a startup, a startup is your MBA almost like it's your exactly. it's a, it's a master's of business. It's, it's understanding um, how companies form inside out. And I like how you yeah. said like you developed um, responsibility and uh, use another word for that. Um, discipline. Discipline. Discipline, right? That's so important. Like I felt the same thing because um, I started my first company when I was like what, 17 as well right? My first university wow. and, um, and my first year university. So my first year university was like 2008 financial crisis hit. Nobody was hiring and we were forced almost to create, create companies. And the way I saw it was that jobs, everyone keeps saying jobs are stable, right? Like, you know, your parents tell you, go get a job, go work. For you. But I realized jobs can disappear. Companies can go under. Economies can fall apart, right? Jobs aren't stable, right? I mean, if anything, you're more dependent on this bigger organization to exist, right? But if you can develop the skill set to find opportunities and to build out mechanisms to, uh, to exploit those opportunities and, and to, uh, and to uh, grow from it and to feed yourself from it, I mean, that's a skill set that's forever re- replicatable. Right? Absolutely. And yes. it was never until I started my first company that I, I, that I started thinking beyond myself, you know, like sort of structuring myself. Now I had a purpose to study and learn things because I had people depended on me. I had you know, I had economic scale, I had to build this company, I had people working for me, you know, like that gives you that sense of purpose and uh, purpose and, and vision that structures you as a person, grounds you, right? Um, Absolutely. So it's really, yeah, it's really interesting that you, you mentioned it that way, especially being at the age you are, 21, and you're talking about, you know, this is, this is my learning curve, this is, this is my method to learn instead of being school. 
Uh, I mean, that being said, like, I want to, I want to touch base on the schooling system in India a little bit, because being from the West, I mean, it, it's, it's, a, it's a disconnect, right, on how school is done here versus how it's done in, in Asia. And yeah. I mean, we, I mean, after like uh, the CEO of Google, CEO of Microsoft, you know, came from these Indian IITs, like people really start looking at India as like, wow, like, you know, you're more than an export of talent. You're actually creating inbound talent within India and within the, within the system. And I think what we're now seeing is a compounding effect of people, not just like the brightest and best and brightest of India, not just leaving and going to the Western nation to work in those companies, but staying at home and fixing solutions within India, right? And yeah. this is really, really popular that belief. Like, how has the schooling system, is it evolving in India to become more acceptable for startups and for new ideas? Or is it, do you, do you feel like there's a resistance to be like, why are you starting your own company? You know, focus and get, 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 get good grades and move up in life from there. Like, how is, how is the situation with your parents culturally, from society? From within the schools, like how are people finding things when you when, they, when you talk about working in a startup or running a startup? Yeah, I would say I, I would start touching on a note saying Indian psychology is something which can never be decoded, no matter what happens. <laughs> so, so, so it's very typical, and and you know it's it's you know we have this typical world uh, in AI called recurring. So it, yeah. it just keeps recurring, you know, iterations after iterations. You have different perspective in Indian psychology. So, uh, and and yeah, one of it is. Uh, uh, starting off with schools and colleges, after this massive digital transformation that we've had in the industry, I guess all the institutions and the population and the, the technological heads and people who run these institutions, they've started looking at the market. I would say the focus is on the market because, because they are the people who nurture students. They are the people who, who uh, you know, build uh, an educational life into every person. So they are the uh, people who, who inculcate the, the skill set that is required for a person to be sustainable in the industry, to, to, have, a, to, to have a livelihood. Uh, so I guess they started looking at the industry and started retrieving some insights, which is, which is very appreciable. And in their own way, how they can implement it in their educational societies in terms of curriculum, in terms of value-added uh, you know, additions, uh, sort of sessions uh, and you know, talks. And I guess that, that way, India's, Indian institutions are doing a great job. And uh, uh, yeah, I, I just put it this way because they are always in touch with the industry, with the market. So I guess that sense of being, being diverse, of having a very broad perspective about how the industry is going on right now is, is what it takes to, to lead an educational institution. And that way they're doing a great job uh, in, in nurturing. And for the point of startups, they're, they're giving great opportunities because uh, before, uh, when I started off, uh, you know, you hear an incubator in an IIT. But right now, every college, every Indian college has an incubator for itself. So uh, they're, they're providing these incubators with mentoring, with technological stack, and with sorts of funding resources. So I guess uh, I, guess I would say it's a great transformation of, of you know, being accustomed to a particular curriculum of, of education to be diverse such to a great technological trend. And, and yeah, second point, as I said, not, my family wasn't cool with me starting a company. Uh, I would bet you that. And I have a very gut feeling that I, I wouldn't be able to continue this because of, you know, it so happens like, you know, startup journey is not cool. You know, it's, it's very, very, uh, you know, uh, dynamic and sort of restricts you from a lot of things. And I would say, uh, uh, I'll, I'll just uh, mention this to you for, for just, you know, the session, uh, spicing it up. Uh, let's say my college ran for three months. I would say I just attended a week. That's how, that's, how, that's how it goes being in a startup. Uh, because, yeah. you know, I would say in, in, in an established institution, you have everything very organized. You, you yeah. join as a HR, you do the work of a HR. You join as a CEO, you do the job of a CEO. You join as a, as a content writer, you, you, you do the work of a content writer. But me being in my startup, I do everything. I get to do every single thing in my startup. I guess uh, I, I tell this with a very positive mind, which, because it, it taught me a lot of insights from every industry. Right now, I look for a HR. I know what the HR has to be like because I've been in the shoes of being in a HR. Now, right now, I need a content writer. I know what it is to be like a content writer and what I need from him. So it gives me a diverse understanding about knowing what every industry in a company looks, feels, acts like. And, and you know, being in this journey, you know, you have to let go of a lot of things. And, and you know, this letting go gives fear in parents. You know, 
might you know he might you know just lose his education he might uh, lose uh, being you know a student and and you know somehow just you know disrupted with the education and you know trying to maintain a company uh, uh, you know yeah I, I would say parents society they are coming into an understanding you know gradually to to broaden their mindsets about you know letting their children be very independent in a way in a way that i say i have a restriction for independence i don't really totally agree to you know uh, teens and you know people like me having a very independent life just just living our lives on our own guidance is needed you know from god and parents too because they are the one who shapers in the first place and and i would say uh, you know restrictions towards becoming what we want to be is something that you know they have to let us you know feel it because i feel like as i told you i, I was a musician but if if my parents wouldn't wouldn't have given me an opportunity of becoming an entrepreneur i would just get stuck of just playing three chords on a, on a six strings that's how i used to be but you know today being in the shoes of being a ceo is something very ridiculous and you know that's something that i didn't even imagine in my wildest dream of of you know being you know founder of a startup it it feels cool you know a part of me you know feels cool and a part of me feels like am i what i am right now cuz you know th- that that happens only when you leave your soul and your mind into evolution so you need to evolve uh, uh, you know into who you want to become and i would say this is what i encourage uh, in the leadership that i follow in my startup uh, you know i love this analogy where you know the game of titans where you see uh, just bombs falling over and if you would say uh, i don't want this type of a bomb it doesn't work out and if you say i want the do- bombs to stop for a second it doesn't work out too because you just have to accept the situation and just take it and find a new perspective to move forward and and you know i also love this uh, quality of leadership that i follow in, in my startup where you know i leave my startup to a very humanitative ground you know uh, what i mean is you know when i mean a humanitative ground i just tell we are all you know navigating through the problem that we have in front of us so you know a very humanitative ground where i accept myself to be a fellow human not a superhero in the startup i'm just like all the others you know i i i picture myself as a very uh, native human along with them not as a superhero because that gives a sense of uh, you know being as a team where we are all the same and we are trying to figuring out that sense of figuring out you know gives explorers r- rather than you know creating a bunch of uh, you know uh, uh, you know innovators and you know they are all cool but you know when you are an explorer you also understand what the native problem that you also have but it, many different perspectives to reach and let go of what it is in front of you so that human native i really love uh, in my leadership where i just admit myself to be very common very individual just like all the others and i tell my team that we are all one and we are navigating to the problem and and that's what i follow hmm yeah yeah it's interesting like one of the things like i'm i'm, I'm when listen to you I, i think back and like like i feel like i miss being my young 20s because when you're young and as an entrepreneur you don't know what's impossible right a lot of lot of like uh, a lot of founders talk about this right especially people who establish companies from like you know Elon Musk to like uh, even like Mark Zuckerberg they talk about when you're young and you're an entrepreneur because you don't know what's not a possible you t- you, you tend to break boundaries and do things that because yeah. it's new to you right you don't know that that this is actually hard but you because you have to get it done you find ways to get yes. it done and and you end up innovating uh sometimes radically innovating something that uh, everyone else thought would not be able would not be possible or didn't think of doing right absolutely like, like when you yes. operate in in the unknown unknowns what you don't even know that you need to know right one it's very easy to get lost as a negative but the positive side is you can find things that other people don't even look at or or haven't thought of right um yes. and and i think it goes back down to that right like where does it become a pain point not to know right it's one thing yes as a founder you know i'm doing hr i'm doing finance i'm doing a little bit of each until i i know i i know enough to know what to hire for or have the capability to hire for but at the same time if you don't have the capability to hire for or replace or have have someone more regular run that like if you mess up on your taxes that's going to come back to the business owner you know what i mean yeah. if you mess up on your hr or your or your legal that's going to come back to the business owner and it, where does the inflection point happen where it goes from cool i'm learning to being like shit this is a liability if i don't if i don't if i don't meet it and reach it right have you run into any situations where you're like damn i really need 
someone to come in and take care of this for me or else it's going to be a problem. Yeah, uh, as you said, I really totally agree to what you said. I, I know what it feels like. I've been there. Um, yeah. So it, it, it so happens, you know, when you start off, you're very enthusiastic and, and you feel like you're enough for the startup. You can deal with this. But as you said, once you run into a constraint which involves some big issues, uh, it's sort of taxes and, you know, some government policies. And that's the point where you feel like I need some assistance. I need a bigger brain than me. And I would say um, I, I, I was doing this uh, venture where, uh, I, yeah, a new use case, I would say uh, how you can mess it up and feel like, you know, you need something else is when you have investors. That's like, you know, a sad thing. You can't, you can't mess with investors because I've had, I have, I've had the experiences of doing a project with a grant where I had the individuality to spend and to offer and to work with the grant that I received in a way that I need and, and, and in a way that it suits my business. But when you work with in investors, it's not the same game. Uh, you have a different, you have different game laws and you have a lot of different game principles and you have to play according to their set rules. So I feel like that was the place where I felt a little uncomfortable because, you know, all my previous projects, you know, I've been doing them with grants and I had that sense of individuality to, to put money at places I needed and I feel like, you know, they are necessary. And this is the amount that has to be put into this sector. And that doesn't really need so much. And I used to deal with everything. But the moment when I came into an investor zone, you know, I had a lot of things that I had to like, you know, restrict and confine myself and act accordingly. And, and, and that's where the places a lot of startups, you know, uh, get messed up. Because uh, before you engage yourselves into a board of investors, you know, it's really important for someone to understand an investor founder relationship. And, you know, this is, this is an area where, you know, you have a lot of webinars and you have a lot of sessions people talk about because that's, that's the diversity and the depth of the subject, because you don't understand what it is to have an invest in your, in your company. You don't know what it is to, you know, work with an investor, you ultimately mess up because you're not just taking up a bunch of finance, but you're actually giving ownership in your, in your own company for him to be and establish himself and be as a panel or board of director along with you. And, and, you know, you, you have the sense of, Thing where like I'm gonna stop working. I'm just, I'm just feeling you know a little off. That doesn't work out. You, you you have to be at the point. You have to hit the targets and you have to reach the goals that have been set. So so in in this journey, it's very much important for every startup founder or CEO or a person who's an entrepreneur to understand the investor founder relationship and and know what it is to be like you know being being under the board of having investors and and doing a particular project. And I guess this is a very common area where people fall into because uh, they, it's, it becomes a necessity for them to take the project forward. So they just immediately take that chance of having an investor, you know, because they, they have to finish up the project or they, they need some finances. But a lot of people don't look at the other side of it. So the rules, the regulations and how the corporate world works with an investor and a founder being on the same board. So uh, I, I would say it is very, very much important for someone to understand that investor founder relationship to take things forward, because that's a very common pitfall where people fall into and it takes a lot of time to come out of it. Trust me. Mm. Um, let's take this time a little bit to kind of shift a little focus back to COVID-19 and, yep. and the lockdown and the pandemic, right? Huh. You look, you're operating out of Hyderabad. Um, again, like amazing food place, right? I, I, me and my wife, we talk about going to Hyderabad a lot, right? Like a few places to go in India, definitely other than Tamil Nadu is like Kerala and Hyderabad. Hyderabad mostly for food, you know? Yes. How has that affected your, the region when, you know, food, obviously tourism is down, people aren't moving around as much. Um, the economy must be slowed down with, you know, people not trusting and not producing food enough. There's lockdown procedures in effect, right? Has this shifted? Yeah. How has this affected you, your family life, your working relationships, your ability to hire? You know, how's this, uh, how, how is it looking there? Uh, see, uh, I would say, you know, COVID-19 is like a new normal. So it, it gives you a sense to adapt to it because uh, uh, me being an entrepreneur and a lot of young minds in India, uh, we are very quick to adapt to any situation, right? So, uh, so it so happened once this COVID-19 thing hit, I'll start off with the food. Uh, yeah, as you said, people face a lot of, uh, you know, issues in the economy going down. 
uh, but I, I I felt like you know it it gave people a new perspective to work upon new strategies in modeling their business because I would say uh, uh, it, in in a ratio of ten percent six percent of of you know people might have uh, you know really boiled down to you know to just say you know we're not having you know any money anymore we're not gonna have have any sort of business in the coming future but the other percent of 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 the tenth they started working on strategizing the business and and i, I really appreciate them because uh, a lot of people started partnering with uh, you know food food uh, delivery uh, uh, institutions and startups and a lot of people started uh, uh, you know introducing takeaway uh, uh, you know channels of of you know delivering food and and a general perspective you're a foodie you don't care what what the hell is going on around if if you're a real foodie like me, you know I really don't care about what situation it is. I just go have food, uh, and you know till now I, I've been to MC kind of like six times by now. Though my mom restricted me a lot of times. You know you're a foodie. You you have that passion towards food, so that doesn't restrict you from COVID nineteen or COVID twenty two also. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, but 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 the business perspective it has enabled startups and a lot of uh, any industry. I'm not just focusing on food industry, but every industry, every startup, every company. Which has been, you know, fighting with the crisis. They started strategizing their business to meet the new normal because we're in a situation where, you know, we don't have a validation about an expiry date for this situation. You know, you don't know whether this is going to continue for the next six months or a year. You don't have a validation when it's going to end. So, you know, we started living with this new normal, trying to adapt to the situations, and I guess it created scope because a lot of people, I would say, I'll give a very uh, good example about education. Uh, when I started off my entrepreneurial journey, I, as I said, when I started learning AI and machine learning, I was the only dude in college who's, who was doing online courses. And, and nobody, nobody knew what it was to, you know, apply for a financial aid from University of Michigan and get their course and, you know, do the course, get, get a certification. And that adds a lot of value to your resume and for your, and for your journey uh, becoming, you know, a, a, a techie. Nobody knew it. But since the pandemic situations came up, the whole education system shifted to online learning. I guess it, it, it gave a great scope for people to learn new technologies and, you know, try to, you know, visually see the world, what they've never seen to a year before or two years before the whole digital platform of digital learning courses offered by different institutions. I have friends from my, my, my own class and, you know, my whole community who've never, you know, really, you know, took it a big deal to do digital courses, but right now they're on their computers 24 by seven. So I guess it, it gave a hope or, you know, uh, not meaning hope, but, you know, a new strategy or a perspective of living to adapt to the situation. And, you know, people started framing their businesses and their, and their uh, you know, framework of their business to fit to the new normal of the pandemic situation. And way of hiring, I would say, you know, uh, for a startup, COVID-19 is like all through the year when, it, when you talk about hiring, because you, do, you don't have a set institution, you don't have a company, you know, you always work on hiring people from places you don't know, you just get things done. So it's, it's, it's like a very normal thing for, for startups like us, for, especially regarding hiring, because most of our work gets done from peop- outsourcing people from different places and, you know, working from home. So this is like a normal thing for startups. And I don't think so. It made a much bigger difference. Uh, uh, because, you know, it, it's always the same pace where, you know, we hire people online and we get things done and we, they hand over us a project and we do the rest of the job. Uh, and, and that's one thing. And I would say, uh, but, but a lot of scope was generated in a lot of uh, platforms in education, uh, in, in finances, in healthcare, especially healthcare is a sector which affected uh, uh, great numerous innovations, especially in, in the pandemic situations. I would say, namely, uh, uh, I could say 3D printing. 3D printing was a great, uh, you know, uh, point of innovation which happened, which like a boom, and uh, and 3D printing and telemedicine, telemedicine contact tracing, and uh, namely AI, the whole big thing about AI, they started utilizing it because I would say before the pandemic situation, nobody really cared about AI, you know, nobody really cared about 3D printers, and and you know, the moment you open YouTube, you only see 3D printing uh, innovations being done on a pyramid spear circles, but you never imagined 3D printers being utilized to, uh, uh, you know, create the ventilator parts. You know, nobody imagined people who run 3D printing businesses, then they've never imagined, you know, they're going to have such great deal of business in this pandemic. So I would say pandemic helped a lot of businesses 
they've they've started making much more businesses than their normal days because because it it brought all of them together because you have one set goal in front of you you know covid 19 and you have all the resources in front of you which way you can use your little resources that you have in your company to to do something for it and i guess that that big thing made a lot of difference in business for a lot of companies mm. and and that's about 3d printers and coming to telemedicine uh, you know i would say from the indian psychology even if you you know you, you let's say you get fever you get a common fever and and you know you type out a medicine on google it says crocin or let's say a dolo you don't trust it you don't trust it at all you say you know no, no, what's going to happen if i take that medicine the moment you go to a doctor he prescribes the same medicine then you believe it mm. nobody you know nobody looked at telemedicine scope of healthcare many people misunderstood many people didn't even care of you know being part of that ecosystem of telemedicine you know booking their appointments online you know they've always had this you know perspective in their subconscious minds where the moment where they went to the doctor they get their self treated they have that inner peace of you know the diagnosis happening but now the scope of telemedicine is so high you know uh, people who couldn't afford to uh, uh, you know get back to the hospitals because of the situations which are around them i guess it created a lot of scope for for startups especially people who do uh, telemedicine and and a bunch of stuff uh, for them to create a platform which can reach out to a bunch of people so uh, you know if you if you see the statistics uh, statistics of telemedicine uh, there was a, a increase almost 76% in their businesses 76 uh, and you know if you take the if you take the statistics statistics of us uh, only 3 out of 10 people generally use telemedicine for their day to day needs but today 76% of growth which means they've had a great boom in their you know in their business it's going to make a lot of money a lot of profit so i guess mm-hmm. covid 19 helped a lot a lot of businesses in creating new perspective for their businesses to work and sustain themselves in the industry it created scope hmm. no it's a really good assessment absolutely and the way you said it it's really interesting because it's like we hear in the media of all the business going down but we have yet to see the boom effect of all these new businesses coalescing and building up during yeah. this time right so the market has shifted and it's like it's like it's like sand right like like once like the vibration starts all like the loose pieces go to the bottom and all the bigger pieces come to the top and we're seeing that shift is all these technologies exactly. that were kind of hidden below the surface are now coming up and emerging out of, out of this mess and yeah, i mean this absolutely. is really the the really the uh, catalyst like covid-19 is being called a catalyst for the fourth industrial revolution right the machine exactly. age where things are becoming uh, becoming more automated and uh, and uh, covid-19 it is actually may, um accelerated that process right yep. so i mean we'll finish up with uh, with this one last one last uh, idea it's like where what does the future look like to you right with based off of what you're developing what you're working on um How, what does the future immediate future look like and what does the like, like the far future look like what would you yeah, like yeah uh, for, for me uh, uh sticking to the scope of my startup and my innovations healthcare right so i would say uh, healthcare before the pandemic was very much sensitive towards ai digital transformations happening in their industry so they were very insecure about the the word digital entering their industry because of data sensitive issues and and you know you can't collect public data so you have a lot of uh, governmental policies which you know which restrict these innovations to come in place in the industry but after the pandemic the near future i would say uh, you know this new normal of of digital transformation evoluted and augmented a reality for government private and public all three uh, sectors of the industry to understand the potential of digital technologies so because because you know many people as i said you know they, they used to look at ai as as you know a, a very booming technology but it's it's a risk of of you know having the technology embedded into their into their network or their frameworks but now it's become an aid for them right uh, uh, you take one use case uh, which is very much prevalent, prevalent right now is ct scans lung x-rays so right now they're using ai to to use diagnosing uh, and um, in your sort of examining the lung scans in bigger numbers to understand who is who is the target and what is the current state of a covid-19 patient because you have so many patients and so many cases generated every day it's become impossible for doctors to really figure out and you know sort of like go through that mass of patient reports that they have so right now they're using ai to do that job 
So right now they've come to a conclusion over, you know, AI being an aid, uh, uh, you know, an augmented, you know, reality and sort of like a new normal for them to adapt and sort of get their things done in a much faster phase. So, so I would say in the near future, I would look at healthcare solution, uh, uh, you know, and healthcare industry implementing AI and, and you're scaling the business. And, and, you know, if you see, uh, 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 you know, the statistics of, uh, the, the simple, uh, you know, industry of healthcare, uh, habituating AI, you know, they almost made a profit of profit about 33.4 billion from January. So, you know, mm. it's, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a robotist, you know, figure, you know, it's a, it's a bigger figure, right? You, you never imagine AI could potentially add so much value to each industry and each medical institution, but you know, 3.4 billion right. is like, is it 3.4 billion? Is it India globally? What's that figure based off of? Globally. It's, it's a global yeah. figure. Yeah. It's, so it's 3.4 billion dollars in revenue was captured or value add like as in value, value add. Okay. Value added. So I would say in the near future, uh, every healthcare industry would would you know adapt themselves to to the the AI and the and the machine learning platforms which are available for 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 their industries and what they have in them, and it could potentially add a lot of value. So I guess this was a period where they they got to realize the potential standard of what AI can do in healthcare, and and this was a period where they can visually see. The, the growth and and the work of AI in their industries. Mm. So I, I I feel like it's it's a, a add on for uh, for you know somehow giving a positive cheer for AI uh, you know in the pandemic situations where you know it made sense the thing which was considered the boom uh, right now you know you can see it in visual reality where it, it's making a lot of difference and also helping a lot of people's lives uh, through its service and through its potential of being you know the, the revolutionary standard of digital transformation AI. Interesting. Cool. Yeah. Um, all right. I mean, this has been great. Um, I mean, we already run up against uh, up to an hour and it kind of flew yeah. by. <laughs> um, I really enjoyed this conversation. Me too. I really, so enjoyed, uh, really enjoyed uh, getting, getting the weeds with uh, your business and your mindset and, you know, uh, and where you want to take it. Um, we'll, we'll end the episode here, but stick around for a few minutes. We'll do a quick debrief. But uh, sure. till then, um, everyone who tuned in, thank you for watching again. This is Blue Max, and um, take care, guys. Bye.